politics, sports, movies. You are listening to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. Welcome to the Let Me Bend Your Ear podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm the host of the show, and thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking the show out. If you're a return listener, thanks for coming back and continuing to listen. The show is available on the following podcasting apps. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and CastBox. If you listen to the podcast using one of these apps, please click subscribe, and this will allow you to receive notifications when new episodes are uploaded. This podcast covers three different subjects, movies, sports, and politics. Each episode is dedicated to one of these topics. You can follow the show on social media. The handle for Twitter is at BendYourEarPod. This is also the handle for Instagram. If you want to email the show, the email is BendYourEarPodcast at gmail.com. If you're not using a podcasting app to listen to the show, you can always get episodes directly from the website, which is www.LetMeBendYourEar.com going to do a little something different today for the podcast. I know normally if you hear the intro that I do sports, politics, and movies, and then each episode is dedicated to one of those topics. I'm actually going to kind of bounce around today. I'm going to tackle three different things. Uh, I'm going to start with my thoughts on the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and unfortunately the political ramifications of the vacancy that this has created on the Supreme Court. And then I'm going to talk about a book that I read. Actually, I don't do book reviews normally here, but I read an excellent book uh, on the Wright brothers that I want to share some thoughts on. And then I'm going to wrap up with my thoughts on the release of Tenant. I reviewed the film in the last episode, but I'm going to talk about the box office receipts of the movie and what this means for movie theaters going forward in the short term. So I want to get into the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Obviously a huge loss for the court and a life lived of activism and a pioneer for women in both the law, the working environment, and everything she contributed in her illustrious legal career. So obviously a sad loss. And she became in her later years a relatively famous justice uh, with people that supported her from young to old. So it's pretty rare on Supreme Court justices to achieve the kind of notoriety she did uh, in the last 10 years or so of her life. So that was pretty impressive, and she's led an impressive life. So I would definitely recommend that you check out her history, her impact, and the way she lived her life is pretty remarkable. So again, uh, condolences to her family. And I wanted to get into the obvious political implications. Unfortunately, along with the sad news of her death, always comes right after that, unfortunately, the political ramifications of this. So if you listen to episode 28 of this podcast, I pointed out the hypocrisy of Mitch McConnell regarding the blocking of even hearing the nomination of Merrick Garland. If you recall, President Obama nominated Merrick Garland to replace uh, Justice Scalia, who had passed away in February of 2016. And of course, that was an election year. And Mitch McConnell went into this whole 
I guess rant is not the right word, but basically his position on how since this was an election year and the people should decide by picking the president and then the next president should decide to pick their nominee so that the people, quote unquote, could have their say in who would be on the Supreme Court. So uh, I won't get too deep into it to give you the really, really short version. I would recommend you listen to episode 28 because unfortunately we've had this scenario come to fruition. I basically said that it's a bad precedent to set. Uh, It's nonsense. A president, regardless of party, is a president for four years from beginning to the end. And the president should execute his duties all the way until he is not president anymore. And the fact uh, that the Senate chose to not even hear the nomination I'm not even saying you 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 hear it and confirm, but you don't even hear it. I think is garbage, and I think sets a bad precedent. So fast forward to today. So of course, uh, Mitch McConnell, quickly after news of Justice Ginsburg's Ginsburg's death spread, he immediately, of course, like I said, he would reverse course. So. He's, of course, naming a couple of differences between now and what he said four years ago. The biggest difference was that the Senate and the presidency were occupied by two different parties. So meaning the majority party in the Senate was the Republican Party. And of course, we had a Democratic president. So that seems to be the delineator between what he said then and what's going on now. So what's going on now is it's now the constitutional duty of the president to nominate someone and for the Senate to hear it. And he has every intention of hearing that nomination. And it's different now than four years ago because it's a Republican-controlled Senate and a Republican president. So that's what he says the difference is and why he gets to be a complete hypocrite on this issue. So before I continue on that nonsensical logic, let me be clear about my thoughts about this because I think a lot of people are going to hear this and assume that I believe that they should wait until the next president is elected. I do not think they should wait because if I said that, that would be inconsistent with my opinion back in 2016. In 2016, I was very clear and stated Unlike Mitch McConnell, my position on this issue is consistent. Obama should have had his nomination, his nominee, excuse me, heard by the Senate, period. He put a nominee through, that nominee should have been heard. Now, fast forward now, I think the same thing. Trump should put his nominee through and the Senate should hear it. I'm calling out the hypocrisy of not hearing the Merrick Garland nomination. I'm not saying that they should hold this nomination back. So that's my position. My position is consistent, again, unlike Mitch McConnell. And again, they should hear it. If they don't think the nominee is worthy or they have issues, they can always block the nomination. But I suspect that this nomination is going to go through in record time. Here's a couple of things. Justice Scalia died in February of 2016. If I believe the dates were right, I think Merrick Garland's nomination was put through 237 days before election day. So the typical nomination, the typical nominee time has gone anywhere from 37 to 77 days. So they would have had plenty of time in 2016 to either confirm or deny, and probably Obama would have had time to nominate a second 
uh, choice if Garland's nomination for some reason didn't go through, but we never knew because we never got the hearing. So we are now 77 days out from the election. And some would argue, and I think it's a valid argument, that that's not enough time, considering how long it takes to to confirm a justice, especially in this polarized environment, as we all know, no matter who President Trump picks, it appears he's going to be deciding to pick a woman. I think he's already committed to the fact that he's going to do that. And there's two just or two judges that are coming to the fore, one from Florida. I don't know the name of the other judge that's being considered. But again, no matter who he ends up tapping, it's going to be a very contentious, very polarized, to no one's surprise, nomination process heading into an election year. But again, that being said, the Constitution says president nominates the Supreme Court justice, Senate hears it, confirms, or does not confirm. That process should continue, and I believe it should. Again, this is pointing out the absolute hypocrisy of the terrible precedent that's been set that's being reinforced, because what's going to happen and eventually we're going to get there, as I said before. There's going to be a Republican president and a Democratic Senate at some point. It is going to happen. And then when that happens and a Supreme Court vacancy happens to become available, guess what's going to happen in an election year, if it happens to be in an election year. So the precedent has been set. So what we're going to hear is all these Republicans now when the sides get flipped, they're going to come up with some rationale on how, oh, no, it's the constitutional duty of the uh, of the of the, you know, Senate to let this nomination sit or not even hear it, blah, 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 because of the precedent set previously. The Democrats are going to pull the same nonsense. So this foolishness is continuing. But again, had Mitch McConnell kept his mouth shut and went through the process in 2016, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation now. And to, and to state that it's only different, the only difference is that each party controls one part branch of the government, and that's why it's different now than it was then, because Republicans control both the executive and legislative branch, or in this case, the Senate, is bullshit. The argument is ridiculous. It's laughable on its face. But I will give Mitch McConnell credit. He shamelessly says it's okay. Now, I know some other uh, Republicans are, of course, in favor of putting this nomination through. And they've come up with a second argument because of the election coming up that what would be horrible is if there's a 4-4 court. So no deciding vote. And if there's a contested ele presidential election. Despite all the rhetoric on both sides about this being some kind of contested election, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's, there's going to be a clear winner either way. I'm not of the opinion that that's going to happen. But again, regardless of that, the process should be the process. This, this, this made-up nonsense of, well, it's been tradition that in an election year that we don't— That's nonsense. Donald Trump is president until his term is over. Any president is president until their term is over. If there is a vacancy on the court during a president's term, the president should nominate it and the Senate should hear it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I don't want to hear this nonsense. Regardless of the president's Democrat, Republican, regardless of the Senate is Democrat or Republican, this is further proof 
of the polarized nonsense that this this as an, us as an electorate have to put up with because people with no principles just make up stuff as they go along as long as it helps what they perceive helps their cause they're just going to say whatever they want they're just going to contradict themselves and speaking of that lindsey graham's in a interesting position we'll see what he says he's the chairman of the judiciary committee right now he said back in 2016 he thought that they should hold up the nomination and if this were a flipped and it was a republican president that they should hold it up if this situation come up and if he flipped his position then he said himself use my words against me so here we are four years later with this exact scenario and we'll see where lindsey graham lies i'm going to just go on on a limb and say he's just going to basically toe the line and go we're going to hear it we're going to put it through and like i said i guarantee you this nomination gets pushed through i guarantee you the supreme court justice whoever it is will be uh, sworn in or confirmed within 30 days it's going to be fast tracked like you would not believe uh, so it's going to happen so again i want to just kind of circle back here because like i said i do believe the the person brought forward by the president should be heard by the senate just like i did in 2016 so again my opinion has not changed i have had a consistent opinion on this and my opinion will continue to be consistent on this issue i just thought it was interesting that this scenario happened to come up and makes mitch mcconnell look like the hypocrite and clown that i knew he was four years ago and it's just worse so again we're dealing with the constant polarization and hypocrisy in washington i'm gonna ask a question to my listeners out there I think most of you know who the Wright brothers are, the pioneers of flight. But the question I'm going to ask is, what else do you know about the Wright brothers other than that? Some people may say they know that some of their flights took place at Kitty Hawk. Um, some people may even have a deeper knowledge in that. I'm going to be honest with you. Other than those two pieces of information and seeing the cool photographs that were taken uh, from some of their flights, I knew absolutely nothing about the Wright brothers. And not from school, not from anywhere. So I've had the pleasure of finishing the book by David McCullough, who if you're familiar with him, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning author. He also wrote the comprehensive biography on Harry Truman, which I read probably 20 years ago. Fabulous, fabulous biography on Truman. So he wrote a book about the Wright brothers. So I was very happy and excited to read it and just finished it and not disappointed at all. I highly recommend the book if you want to learn more about the Wright brothers. Uh, I just want to go over some highlights in the book. So the Wright brothers were from Dayton, Ohio. They, uh, their father was a bishop. Uh, they also had a sister who was very devoted to them. Their profession were, was actually fixing and building bicycles. So in the late 1800s, they were doing that. They had a successful business in Dayton. And Orville and Wilbur started to get very interested in aviation and flying. And as you read the book, it's, 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 it's fascinating 
It's basically two Midwestern guys that just were tenacious, very smart. And there's a theme in the book, which I think is very interesting and very consistent with a lot of people that achieve is they were constantly underestimated. I'll get into more of that in a moment. But they, the brothers noticed that uh, some books on aviation that they read and kind of seeing the people that did it before them and where they were not successful, the Wright brothers kind of looked at that, saw what worked, saw what didn't work, but they had a very simple premise. They wanted to simulate how a bird flies and that kind of action and that kind of... Um, thought into man flight and you would think that's a very simple a simplistic process and I think that's why a lot of times they were underestimated because I think people will go like well yeah of course you want to try to fly like a bird but you can't really do that and the Wright brothers kind of set that path and didn't deviate from it and were able to through the sheer will of their hard work and not giving up uh, able to kind of propel themselves into an area where they were starting to fly on their own. Both brothers flew uh, planes that they built, each flight lasting longer and longer. But as the book progresses, you see a couple of themes, as I stated earlier. Uh, the American government actually didn't take them very seriously. Uh, you know, Washington, D.C. kind of poo-pooed what they were doing and kind of really didn't go after them uh, early on in the process. Uh, the Wright brothers were, were hopefully maybe getting interested in getting a government contract from the United States. The United States really was not that interested. The brothers actually ended up going to Paris where there was a kind of booming, uh, not business, but at least the study of aviation and manned flight. And there were some other people that were doing it as well. And as the book uh, talks about, they become celebrities in Europe uh, before actually they become celebrities in the United States. But some of the themes in the book that I really, really enjoyed is, like I said, the, the, the closeness between both brothers and their sister, who was devoted to them as well. Uh, their father, like I said, was a religious man. They're, you could see that Midwestern kind of work ethic that they had. Uh, they outworked people. They were, the thing that I loved, and, and this is the thing that I love with people that achieve a lot, uh, and always actually resonates with me personally as a reader or someone that's consuming a story is is their humility was uh something that i really admire they they just put their nose to the grindstone and worked and they were very humble about it not to say that when other people kind of poo-pooed them that they didn't take it personally or not to say they didn't have an ego at all because I think when you're doing something like this you always kind of have some you have to have somewhat of an ego or a confidence in yourself uh, and a belief in what you're doing so I think it's it was a confidence in what they were doing the fact that they would work and work and work until they got it right but they would never they never tried to take credit for things now what they did do is they would defend the things that they invented. Uh, unfortunately, later on, after they became famous, a lot of late in their later uh, years, uh, they had to defend a lot of lawsuits or they had to sue people that were trying to copy what they were doing for a profit. So that part of it they found uh, unpleasant. The other unpleasant list they found was the the use of aviation in both World War One and then subsequently World War Two. Uh, they were uh, the brothers were not thrilled that their invention or their their 
innovation was used in the destruction and, and, and the cause of deaths of other people. So obviously that's something that they had to kind of work through. It wasn't their fault, but obviously they weren't thrilled that that was happening. But again, their humility is what really struck me, which what I really connected to in the book, because uh, they, you know, they would just go out there, they would fly their planes, you know, if there was one person watching or a thousand people watching, they were just, they were just very straightforward gentlemen that would just do their job and loved flying and were passionate about it. And like I said, they were confident, but they weren't arrogant. And everything they did was humility when somebody else achieved something they gave them credit and were complimentary and were never uh, uh, looking over their shoulder or belittling anybody else that was trying to do what they were doing at the same time so that humility from those brothers like i said really resonated with me as i read the story it's a it's a quick read uh the book is a about 400 pages, not 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 uh, not a heavy read at all. Really, really good. Um, you see, just like I said, it was great to learn something about historical figures that everybody knows who the Wright brothers are, but I, I just I think most people don't really know their story. So I think if you have any interest in either aviation or what the Wright brothers did or what they went through uh, or the risk they had to take, uh, there were some serious injuries. Uh, one of the things that uh, was interesting was that the brothers both flew, uh, were both pilots, but they never flew together uh, until actually very late in their lives. They didn't fly together because they didn't want in the event of a crash, they didn't want both of them to be killed. So if one of them was on the ground, then the other one can continue the work if one of them was killed during a flight. And there were crashes and there were serious injuries. So what they were doing, uh, you get that reminder of how dangerous uh, they, the, the activities they were trying to perform were. And you also get a lot of the, like I said, the kind of the doubting, the snickering, the what are these fools trying to do? There's no way that we're going to be able to fly. That's that's the area for birds. There's no such thing as us being able to fly. So the skepticism and and the dismissiveness of, of first the United States, but then, of course, everybody came around when they saw what they were doing. And the other thing I loved about uh, this book, too, I'm, I'm, I'm a person, I'm normally, you know, I am a film buff, but I am fascinated by two things, very old films, silent films, films that document things. Um, it's just a fascinating thing to know that we can get a window into the past. You know, I wish that we would have had film 300 years ago, 400 years ago. Could you imagine of some of the things that were documented that we only know from reading? But, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, there were some beautiful photographs in the in the book. So seeing you know, Orville or Wilbur flying in a plane and, and seeing some of the aerial footage and some of, or photos, excuse me, and some of the photographs of their planes uh, were interesting. And then there was a couple of, you know, very interesting postscripts to it. Uh, things like Neil Armstrong, when he walked on the moon, he had a piece of the wing that was used on one of the Wright brothers' planes. Uh, when Charles Lindbergh completed his transatlantic flight, he paid his respects going to Dayton and visiting the Wright brothers' uh, grave when uh, one of the brothers had passed away. So visiting him and paying his respects to the pioneers of aviation, so kind of things like that. So I do highly recommend this book. Like I said, it's a quick read. It's a few hundred pages. Uh, it, it tells you a lot about them as men and, and, their, and their ingenuity and their hard work. And it's that, that classic you know, American story of if you work hard and uh, you're honest and you're humble, you can achieve 
monumental thing. So uh, I, again, if it's something you're interested in, I would highly recommend uh, The Wright Brothers by David McCullough. So in the previous episode, I, I reviewed the Christopher Nolan film Tenet and also discussed that this is the first blockbuster film to be released in theaters amid the COVID-19 pandemic. So I talked a little bit about the movie or reviewed the movie, actually. I uh, want to get into kind of the box office performance. Before I do that, though, I just want to get into my personal experience going to the theater uh, I was there by myself with, uh, ended up being three other people, not with me, but another group of people. I saw it on a Friday night and uh, I went to an AMC theater and it was, you know, obviously they have measures in place. You're required to wear a mask. Uh, you, My concession order I placed on their app and then picked it up at the theater. Um, they gave it to me in a bag. Obviously the soda machines, they try to make touchless. Uh, there was not refills that were granted uh, so there's a couple things that have changed. There's hand sanitizers, uh, things like that. The uh, you know the butter machine, stuff like that. You had to get butter from the counter, certain things from the counter, and then of course they have capacity restrictions in the theater as well. So obviously, seeing a movie on opening weekend on a Friday night and there's only four people total in the theater, while the selfish part of me enjoyed that as well to kind of get a private screening of the movie, uh, obviously that doesn't bode well for the overall health of the theater chains uh, as they try to navigate this pandemic. So in looking at the box office receipts, there's been a couple of issues. One, there was kind of, I guess, a mini controversy uh, regarding Warner Brothers not releasing box office uh, updates. I guess apparently under normal situations, executives from all the studios get all the box office from all the other movies that have opened in a particular week, uh, a lot of times by the hour. And I guess that uh, Warner Brothers, the uh, distributor for Tenant, was not doing that, You know, which was aggravating to the other studios because obviously everyone's looking to Tenant to see what the performance is going to be to kind of dictate what the appetite is for people to return to theaters uh, in a degree that would uh, be helpful to the theaters who have effectively been shut down. So in looking at some updates in the last couple of hours, it looks like worldwide Tenet has made about $250 million. So now the budget of Tenet, I think, is approximately 200. So if you do the kind of voodoo Hollywood math, the the pretty much stated objective of any film is to make double what its budget is before before they say it hits a profit so if a movie cost 30 million when you add all the advertising and things that go behind it you need to be uh hitting 60 million or above on a 30 million budgeted film to start making a profit so in this case you know they're not anywhere near profit yet and i guess the gross domestically is 4.7 million so of course obviously uh, for a movie that's been out a couple of weeks, that's not good at all. So I think as a result of the poor box office for Tenant, uh, you've already seen the decision made that uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is going to get moved back yet again, or it has been moved back uh, to Christmas. And I think there is a movie with Gerard Butler, uh, disaster movie, Greenland, I think it's called, that's getting pushed back as well. So not great news. As I stated in 
in my review or even when I talked about COVID a few episodes back, obviously I'm a huge proponent of movies in theaters and want to be able to get back to the theater regularly to see big budgeted movies or any movie for that matter. Uh, unfortunately, I think the poor performance of Tenant is a uh, unfortunately a bad harbinger for things to come regarding movies. So unfortunately, I'm pessimistic regarding the rest of this year, uh, assuming that Wonder Woman stays at its Christmas date. So we're looking at probably not the end to the end of this year to the beginning of next year before we have some semblance of normalcy to go back to the theater. I know the other big movie supposed to come out is uh, the last Daniel Craig James Bond movie, No Time to Die. I don't think that's been pushed back again. I think their release date, it's either October or November. I don't remember. I didn't check before I came on, but it's coming sooner than Christmas, but I'm suspecting that barring any kind of miracle or any kind of loosening of restrictions in the big markets, because I think part of the reason Tenet didn't do so well is while you had about 70% of the screens available in the United States open for business at limited capacity, you had the two biggest markets in Los Angeles and New York that were completely closed. So that's definitely going to impact any film, especially a big film like Tenet, when you're, you're losing two major metropolitan areas for box office. So unfortunately, I think probably at some point uh, the James Bond movie is going to be moved, especially now that Wonder Woman is committed to moving out to Christmas. Uh, I still think that uh, that's going to cause Bond to move somewhere maybe late December or excuse me, late November, maybe Thanksgiving or early December. So they're not going head to head with Wonder Woman. And then you have other films that have still been impacted. Uh, Mulan was released to Disney Plus directly uh, earlier in the summer. Of course, Artemis Fowl was released directly to Disney Plus. Uh, there's been some smaller movies, but uh, you have still in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have Black Widow that was supposed to come out back in May, and that's been pushed back as well. So there's some major implications there, especially with a movie like Black Widow, which is part of a larger universe. Uh, how does that domino effect kind of go down the line with the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So again, movies continue to be pushed back. Unfortunately, the the experiment of getting Tenet out there uh, doesn't seem to have made a huge impact on getting people back to the theater. So obviously, uh, at this point, at least, you know, based on the data you have now, I think people are still at a point where they're very uncomfortable going to a theater to see a movie, uh, even with the restrictions in place, the capacity, the the cleaning measures that I think AMC and I'm sure any other theater are trying to make, because obviously uh, this pandemic has is, is gotten to the point where there was serious thought about AMC completely closing its doors. So, uh, and and these, these movie theater chains basically are unable to perform any kind of business whatsoever. So again, um, it's unfortunate to hear that uh, but hopefully as we navigate this pandemic, hopefully we can get some kind of positive news within the next couple of months. Uh, and hopefully, my hope would be if things work out great, that there will be no necessity to push back movies anymore. Hopefully Christmas will be uh, where things will start to pick back up. So again, if you just you know push that out to this natural course, which has kind of been my thought in general about this pandemic anyway, I, I, I always thought even early on, uh, once it, it, the lockdowns happened uh, in, in mid-March, my thoughts within the first couple of months was I think that for all intents and purposes, 2020 was going to be a wash in the sense that there's not going to be any kind of 
full-blown return to normalcy until the beginning of 2021. Uh, and I think that's kind of played itself out, not completely, because obviously you see the return of sports, uh, football and hockey and basketball and baseball have returned in, in, in some kind of different way, playing to a lot of empty stadiums and the NBA's place, uh, case playing in a bubble. Also, the NHL is playing in a bubble in Edmonton as well. So there's been some kind of return to normalcy. And then you have some of the sports conferences, uh, college football, SEC, uh, the Big 12 was, was, was full bore on going. The Big 10 and Pac-12 were not, but the Big 10 is reverse course and they're going to start playing at the end of October. Uh, so I would suspect at some point that the Pac-12 will follow suit. Don't know. That's in the Western states where they have a lot of more strict lockdowns. But the nation, I think, is trying to come to grips with when is the right time to kind of return to normal and balance that with the risk of 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 the transmission of COVID and what that means. So that's a, that's a conversation for another show. Uh, but for this point, for the movie theaters, it's, it's, you know, as a movie fan, I'm sad that, that the situation with tenant didn't work, even though my movie review of tenant was, uh, was, uh, qualified. I thought there were some good things about it, but I had some issues with it. I definitely truly hope that, that, uh, tenant would be the catalyst to get people comfortable going back to the theater so we can get the theaters back in business, people get their jobs, and and hopefully kind of get that cycle back where there would be some sense of normalcy. But I, it just it seems pretty obvious based on what we've seen in the last uh, three weeks that uh, the majority of people are just not ready to, to do that yet. Uh, so hopefully that uh, situation will change in the, in the coming weeks or in the next couple of months at the latest. Thank you for listening to the show. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting app, please take a moment to rate and review. This is a quick and easy way you can help the show attain a higher profile in searches when people are seeking out new podcasts. Another way you can help raise the profile of the podcast if you enjoyed what you heard or you think a friend might like it is to share the episode on your social media. This is another easy way to help the show reach a wider audience. The podcast is available on the following podcasting apps. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Castbox. Episodes can also be downloaded directly from the website at www.letmebendyourear.com. If you want to email the show, the email is bendyourearpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to the show, and I hope everyone has a great week.